welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending June 24th, 2023. This week, Warner Brothers Discovery is coming undone. I'm Kim Hollis, who is hiding from David after the Chrono Trigger remake didn't materialize. Oh, well, at least there's Final Fantasy 16. That's right. And the Switch is getting a Super Mario RPG. Looks amazing. That... that- my Mickey by a switch. You're missing out by not having one anyway. With me are Tim Brady, content creator and gamer, back to save the show. Thank goodness. <laughs> I, I listened last week and um, I, I don't usually type myself up like this, but yeah, you guys need me. <laughs> <laughs> also with me are David Mumpower, author of Behind the Bride, streaming media analyst, and the next host of Turner Classic Movies. I mean, you know, I'm sure they'll get back to me any day now, right? (laughs) Sure. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who took the day off from work today so he could do some work. Guys, I may have a problem. Honestly, I can relate to that a little bit. In our deep dive this week, David Zaslov. (laughs) It's the return of the Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch. And this time we mean it. Look, guys, I am a firm believer in the truism attributed to Maya Angelou. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. David Zaslav has, for a year now, savaged one of the most storied studios in Hollywood. Warner Brothers is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, and this may be its last. Oh, come on. There's no need to be hyperbolic. It's plenty bad enough at Warner Brothers Discovery without our making it sound worse. I mean, this place survived the Zack Snyder-verse. It can survive David Zaslav, probably. (laughs) Maybe not after this week. Let's set aside for a moment the failure of the latest DC movie, The Flash, at the box office. A lot of ink has been spilled as to why this movie, dubbed by Zaslav, the best superhero movie ever, has failed. I don't know that Zaslav can be held responsible for a box office failure. Oh, yes, he can. He absolutely can. That dude could have picked literally any project he wanted. For some reason, he handcuffed himself to an obvious failure and for no good reason. And that was with all four of us saying, this is the dumbest idea anyone could possibly have is to get too attached to The Flash. Remember when he took over, he directed his people to just make good movies now. What was the cinema score for The Flash, Tom? Oh, it got a B. When you look at cinema scores, that's not very good. But the failure of The Flash really was just one blow in a series of increasingly bad blows that Zaslov, CEO of Warner Bros. Discovery, has suffered this week. You'd think that Max's sputtering launch and the firing of CNN CEO Chris Licht a couple of weeks ago would cap off a rather miserable first year for Zaslov. But as it turns out, the bad news was just getting started. With Max on the ropes, reports have emerged that Warner Brothers is now in talks to license content to their competitor, Netflix. I'll be honest, on the list of streaming services to fail in the imminent implosion, Max was definitely not top of that list, not until this week. Raul, you might want to sit down before I say this. There's a chance now that Peacock outlasts Max. I mean, honestly, Peacock. We've kind of gotten that crazy with the whole thing. I'm telling you, I have watched considerable more content on both Peacock and Paramount Plus over the last year than I have on HBO Max. And I think I've watched one thing on the new Max since it launched. I feel like we also shouldn't just gloss over what happened with Netflix and HBO. For a time, HBO was actually available on 
Amazon. Some of the shows were. That's not like a first. Like Sopranos, you could watch on Amazon Instant Video a few years ago. We have seen this before to a certain extent, but what Warner Brothers Discovery is doing here will probably open up the floodgates to a return to an old model we thought we'd lost. I've mentioned many times, Bob Iger woke up one morning in 2016 and said, we are selling arms to the enemy when we provide Disney content for Netflix for a fee. We are now circling back to the idea that maybe, just maybe, that's how the system works best, is the places that could use more cash should license their content to other services with Deep Pockets, which is really just Netflix at this point. I think that idea is going to grow again in popularity because it solves a lot of the capital issues we're watching with the other services right now. The one thing about this deal that makes sense for Warner Brothers Discovery is if they license the content to Netflix, it will not be exclusive so they can continue airing it on Max as well. It's just they're accepting the fact more people will watch it on Netflix, which they're fine with for a fee. Yeah, we've made that joke in our ratings segment where there are shows that appear on multiple streamers at the same time. But if it's showing up on uh, Netflix, you know that 90% of that viewership is Netflix. What's happened here, of course, is that they've essentially made Max irrelevant. Why sign up for Max if you are already a Netflix subscriber? We know statistically that most people who watch content on streaming sign up to Netflix and other streaming services. So there's always Netflix. And if I've got Netflix, why am I going to give any money to Warner Bros. Discovery for Max? It can't be that much of a surprise because we have watched Zaslav repeatedly indicate, as you said, he's shown us how he feels about HBO. And that is, it means nothing to him. But he hasn't even cared about content he likes, has he? That's right. Reports emerged this week that Zaslav, who's been forgiven by the Hollywood press repeatedly for his transgressions, was gutting the leadership at Turner Classic Movies. Cable Network Network TCM is a small but significant platform in Hollywood tasked with keeping classic movies in the zeitgeist and actually does a lot of work restoring old prints. So alarming was this news that powerhouse filmmakers Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson convened an emergency summit with Zaslav. And they emerged from that meeting with vague promises and little else. Again, when someone shows you who they are, you should believe them. And this seems like a good time to mention that throughout the entire process, Zaslav has sworn that he loves Turner Classic Movies as much as anything in the entire Warner Brothers Discovery Library. This is how he'll treat some of his favorite content. Imagine what he'll do to the HBO stuff he doesn't respect because it's so smart. And we don't want that. We want to be populist. Zaslav keeps getting that pass from the Hollywood press, most recently because of this impassioned defense of movie-going he gave at CinemaCon earlier this year. But the press seems to fail to understand that a well-crafted speech doesn't equal actions. Zaslav has shut down the storied writer's workshop at Warner Brothers, had archived materials like press packets and posters destroyed, and now is gutting TCM. But he's an okay guy, right? He loves movies. He said so in his speech. Give him a chance. Never mind that news emerged this week that Warner Bros. Discovery is shopping around the music publishing assets to their films and looking for $500 million in the bargain. David? $500 million. Wow. Uh, David, how much uh, is WBD's debt right now? $49.5 billion. Oh, so let me just do some math here. So they'll be down to $49 billion in debt. Okay. Yeah, it's basically paid for. But on the plus side, they no longer own the rights to Purple Rain or Casablanca. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Warner Brothers Discovery is in a whole of its own making. In discussing things with David earlier this week, I likened Warner Brothers to MGM. MGM was gutted in a series of buyouts and sell-offs starting in the 1980s. Wait, wait, wait. Can't we go five minutes without your bringing up Kirk Kikorian? <laughs> John Malone is a new Kirk Kikorian, David. You're not wrong. I honestly thought I was exaggerating when I said that to David earlier this week. Not anymore. I want to say that before Zaslav is done, Warner Bros. Discovery will be an empty shell of its former majestic self, except I think we are already there. We should stop referring to it as Warner Brothers Discovery and start calling it what it is, a bunch of grouped assets. What exactly is the end game here anyway? Is is he just selling it off for parts? Literally dismantling it piece by piece to make the most money possible. We used to see a thing a long time ago. There was actually a Danny DeVito movie called Other People's Money with a character named Larry the Liquidator. And we used to see this a lot where we had these corporate raiders who would come in, they would take something that had a certain amount of value and then they would sell it for parts that maximize the value often in excess of the perceived market cap. And if you were paying attention to the podcast, if you weeks ago, listeners, whom we appreciate, by the way, we mentioned the fact that Paramount was kind of in that spot where it seemed like the stuff Paramount owns is worth more than Paramount in theory is on its own. Warner Brothers Discovery is like the extreme example of that, isn't it, Raul? It is. The model hasn't changed in years. And a couple of the companies that come to mind immediately are Sears and Toys R Us. People leverage a whole bunch of debt, buy a company that they honestly can't afford, run it into the ground, sell off its assets. And at the end of the day, they have a pocket full of money and everybody else has a bankrupt company. And that was exactly what I warned would happen with David Zaslav when I realized Discovery had found a way to purchase Warner Brothers. This was never a about strengthening or even consolidating. This was about stripping for parts, and we're now approaching the end game on that. Just think about it like this. Chris Licht was the hand-picked person by David Zaslav. And when things got hard because John Malone told Zaslav what to do, and then Zaslav told Lick what to do, and it didn't work, did Malone suffer? Of course not. He's a billionaire. Did Zaslav suffer? Of course not. He's going to make his hundreds of millions of dollars on the stock, which is just insane because the stock, as I say this right now, is a value of like $12, which is just humiliating. But Chris Licht is without a job for doing things that weren't even his idea. That's how this system is working right now because it's that broken. It's been a long time coming. Even this week, reporters were still standing up for Zaslav, but I think the knives are finally out. The Hollywood Reporter, among them, ran a rather scathing piece on Zaslav and his micromanagement and how people really don't want to be working underneath him. I don't know why it's taken so long, but people are finally understanding what we've known for some time. When someone shows you who they are, Believe them. In our rapid fire this week, there was plenty of bad news to go around. Paramount Plus made another round of cuts to their content, canceling shows like the Grease series Rise of the Pink Ladies. That makes me sad. And the animated Star Trek Prodigy going so far as to yank the shows from their platform. Hasbro's production division Entertainment One laid off 20% of their staff in the anticipation of selling off some or all of the studio. And Swedish video game developer and IP powerhouse Embracer announced layoffs as well, and a major undisclosed deal fell through. All I've got to say about all that is, in your face, Kate Mulgrew, in your face! Had they not just announced that they'd renewed Star Trek Prodigy? But then they remembered everyone is like me and hates Captain Janeway. 
<laughs> oh god they're pulling a star trek show off of paramount plus this is insane this is, but it's the star trek network you can't do that. This isn't even a joke. The Grease announcement surprised me so much. I had to go load play on so that I could download the episodes because Kim hasn't watched Rise of the Pink Ladies yet. And I'm pretty sure I'll be sleeping on the couch for a month if she loses the ability to watch Rise of the Pink Ladies. This tells you where their head is at on this. And that's they're not going to pay a dime for anything that isn't a huge success. So, you know, be very careful, Halo. I don't think people will watch a second bad season. The layoffs at these companies, especially as they're perhaps moving to sell assets, are significant. Entertainment One or E1, that one's going to be a tricky one. Hasbro probably doesn't want to sell off production rights to their toy assets. And so what we're talking about here are Transformers, G.I. Joe, even My Little Pony. So what they're going to sell off is some of the other materials that they've been producing. And I don't know that any of those have any value to anyone. I think it might be a hard sell for Hasbro, and I don't know that they're going to get anything out of this in the long run. Embracer is much more interesting. They apparently had a deal that was going to bring the company $2 billion over the period of about 10 years, and that deal has fallen through. They haven't said what the deal was or who it was with. They did happen to disclose this week that when they purchased the rights to The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and remember Embracer now owns those rights, they're not licensing it, they actually own those rights, they paid under $400 million for that. They got a steal. That is a damn what? bargain. Yep. That's uh, like less than Warner Brothers Discovery paid for the Flash. Yep. And the takeaway I have at this point is that Embracer is probably going to have to pivot faster than they intended to into essentially becoming an IP license shop. They are a video game developer. That is what they make. They make a lot of video games for computers and consoles, but they've had to cancel a whole bunch of projects now because this big cash infusion they were expecting has fallen through. So I think what they're going to do instead is they're going to pivot to licensing a lot of these properties that they own for movies and TV shows. Properties like, yes, The Lord of the Rings, which evidently Warner Brothers is very interested in rebooting, or they were at least before their latest crash, and other properties like Tomb Raider, which they also own. Embracer's got a lot of material under their belt, and if they don't have enough money to be producing content based on that material themselves, you could expect that they're going to start licensing a lot of that stuff out to Hollywood very soon. Yeah, I think what we're seeing here is that they've developed the same philosophy as some of these other places, which is they're basically holding grounds at this point. You shouldn't think of them as any more than, you know, like content refrigeration or content storage. They don't care about employees. Leaving off 20% of the employees is not a big deal as long as they have kept that asset, which is that incredibly valuable LOTR content that they got for a fraction of what it should be worth. And that's to their credit to have the forward thinking last year. But yeah, it is obvious they had a deal that they were convinced was going to pay for everything and now it's fallen through. It's the low-level employees who are suffering and that just seems to be the recurring theme of what we can only call of David Zaslav's holiday. Hollywood right now. Another one of those companies that happens to be warehousing a whole lot of IP right now is Candle Media. They just signed a deal, David, with somebody. 
Yeah, this is kind of a, a weird thing that's developing. Xenia Mucha was actually the PR person for Bob Iger for his entire Disney tenure. She is an absolute genius. Uh, not that long ago, TikTok had to testify in Congress because of all the stuff that's going on with the allegations of Chinese spying. She performed so well that they have brought her on board as their head publicist now. She's basically in charge of all TikTok PR moving forward. Well, she went and kind of dealt with two people she knows very well who are Thomas Staggs and Kevin Meyer, both of whom at one point were the perceived favorite to be the next CEO of Disney after Bob Iger retired, which means three former Bob Iger people are now setting up shop with TikTok. And I thought that was a really fascinating development. When Candle Media, obviously, they've got their fingers in a lot of pies, so it's not a big deal. But you can definitely see that influence. And TikTok currently has a $75 billion valuation. If it were lower, I would kind of wonder if Disney were exploring the idea of buying it. It's gotten that incestuous. Any other week, the news that producer Ryan Murphy was leaving Netflix and returning to Disney would have been our lead story. This week, it was barely noticed. Yeah, this one just annoys me. Disney has just performed $5.5 billion in restructuring. And in the wake of laying off a bunch of talents you would know and really like, including the Bantech guy who basically made the Disney Plus user experience that you use every time you pull up the app, they have since hired Pat McAfee, and now they have hired Ryan Murphy again. The Ryan Murphy relationship is with Dana Walden, another person who's currently in the conversation for Bob Iger's successor as CEO of Disney. Walden has a long-standing relationship with Murphy from their days of working on FX projects together. And so in a way, this isn't a surprise because during most of his tenure with his $300 million deal with Netflix, Murphy's most successful projects were on FX and other Disney content like Hulu. And so Netflix was always salty about that right up until they did the Dahmer thing. And then he had two consecutive hits, one of which Dahmer is one of the 10 most successful Netflix shows ever. And yet Netflix was kind of saying it's either them or us. And he chose Dana Walden instead. So Disney gets him back, but it'll probably be at a fraction of what he was earning at Netflix because that's just the way the nature of content deals have changed in the last 18 months. And another regional sports network is in trouble as YouTube TV has dropped SNY, home of the New York Mets. Sorry, Tim. Ah, that's okay. Yeah, SNY is the regional sports network for in New York City. It's kind of like the Mets alternative to Yes, which carries the, the Yankees. And I could have sworn they actually had another major sports team, and maybe they did it one time, but they actually don't. They don't have any any uh, hockey or basketball teams. They do have several Tri-State area college sports that they broadcast as well. But yeah, basically, if you're in that market and you've cut the cord, you have considerably fewer options now to actually watch Mets games on TV or even online. That's interesting where this is going. I will also point out that SNY is still majority owned by former Mets owner Fred Wilpon, so he can sort of go to, you know, where. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if the end game here is this network eventually ends up being owned by current Mets owner Steve Cohen. Presumably at some point, Mets ownership will launch their own New York Mets streaming service to succeed what is happening now, which is the collapse of regional sports networks. It looks like individual teams 
theme on streaming is the future. And that was, as Tim pointed out, that was, in fact, what was happening previously with this regional sports network, where the person who owned the Mets also owned at least a portion of this regional sports network. But the carriage fees on cable and satellite and on YouTube TV were just becoming too onerous and unsustainable. So now if you are truly a Mets fan, at some point in the future, there will probably be Mets Plus or something like that, where you'll be able to subscribe. <laughs> yes. And it won't matter where you are in the country, you'll be able to just subscribe and watch all the Mets games on streaming for what probably will amount to some absurd fee of $29.99 or something like that per month. The short story here is simple. Google, in all its wisdom, just said the New York Mets are overpaid, but New York Mets ownership is still stuck with the salary. I love Tim. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but I love Tim. <laughs> All right, Tim. I am pretty sure we have some box office to cover this week, even if, you know, even if it's funny. (laughs) Yep. You guys discussed last weekend how we were recording on Friday and and we also are today. Uh, So we only had Thursday sneak preview numbers for last week's opening movies, The Flash and Elemental. And it didn't go too well, right? The Flash came in with the weekend of 55 million, which is below even the most pessimistic expectations based on the initial numbers. And I expect that number to absolutely just drive off a cliff this weekend after the the initial, obviously a rush of people wanted a Flash movie and they all saw it opening weekend. So yeah, this the second weekend collapse is going to be interesting to watch. Um, The weekday number is don't bode too well for <laughs> what's going to happen this weekend after that. So this is just going to be a huge, huge debacle for everyone involved. Um, meanwhile, Pixar's Elemental was in second, 29.6 million for the weekend. You had that discussion last week about, you know, what's up with Pixar? Have audiences just been trained now just to wait for Disney Plus for Pixar movies? Because the last three before Lightyear all went to streaming because of the pandemic. And then we had last year's Lightyear, which didn't do too great. But I, I have to wonder if rather than Disney's killed the box off of Pixar movies because they now all go to streaming instead of waiting for people to see them in the theaters. But the last couple, I think it is a marketing problem. I agree with David, actually. The other thing I want to say here, we didn't have this information last week. There is no hiding the fact that Elemental disappointed on its opening weekend. However, it was also playing for the four-day weekend because Monday was Juneteenth. And the legs on the film do appear at least decent. We'll find out this weekend how strong they are, but we're recording this on Friday night. Thursday box office actually had Elemental in first place in North America and in second place was Across the Spider-Verse. So I'm not really saying that in as much to praise Elemental as I am to say it is Timber on the Flash. Yeah. This weekend, we have one new release and one notable expansion, which is the first time we've really been able to say something like that in a while. Guys, here comes the summer of the sex comedy, as No Hard Feelings had an estimated 2.1 million on Thursday. That is not too far behind where The Flash landed on Thursday, so it doesn't look good for that one. And I was kind of hoping that the Jennifer Lawrence comedy had better reviews because the the trailer absolutely killed us when that first debuted but reviews are kind of kind of middling but I'm, I'm hoping this one does well and then we also have asteroid city expanding from just a couple theaters to 1400 that of course is the latest wes anderson movie which actually apparently earned a million dollars on thursday which is actually quite good for so few theaters i've heard some speculation about no hard feelings about how this is essentially hollywood's last chance to make comedy work in theaters what's more an R-rated comedy. Mm-hmm. It looks like if this movie can't break through this weekend, comedies may just get relegated to streaming. 
Yeah, there's there's a couple in the pipeline for the summer that are, I don't know if they're all rated R. You have an upcoming Joyride. And then there's also, which the one I believe definitely is rated R, Bottoms. I think that's in August. So yeah, there's a lot riding on the success of these comedies this summer because that has been a while since that's been the case. And yeah, I'm afraid that should they not do well? Yeah, it's going to be quite a while before you see a just straightforward comedy released in theaters and, and that they may be sent to streaming first. And that is trouble. All right, Tim, I know that we will talk about No Hard Feelings a little bit more at the end of the podcast, but let's go ahead and move into the ratings. Short, we are looking at the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, May 22nd to Sunday, May 28th, 2023. Uh, so we're nearing the last hurrah for a couple of stalwarts, which will hit the ratings next week. Uh, but we do have a new show at the top of the original chart this week, and that is FUBAR. Yes, the Arnold Schwarzenegger action slash comedy series that arrived on May 25th with its eight episode season. And it came in with 1.5 billion minutes. I did not see that coming. I kind of did. This is what we talked about the last couple of weeks where we've reached a point where there isn't a lot of stardom in the world today, Mm -hmm. at least not the way there conventionally was. And if you look at like the people who are most likely to be at home, have nothing to do and want to watch television, that is the generation that grew up with Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So we might see more of this. God help us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it actually already got renewed. So Netflix is clearly pretty happy. But yeah, just the idea of Arnold Schwarzenegger in a streaming humorous series would not have had that on my bingo card even, you know, 10 years ago or so. And Yeah, not bad for Arnold Schwarzenegger. A little bit of a late life resurgence in his career. He's done plenty of movies over the last several years that really haven't caught anybody's attention. And now here he is, number one on Netflix. Yeah, that renewal just came in this week. So yeah, I wonder if it holds decently over its its first month. In second, Ted Lasso from Apple TV Plus. One episode to go at this point, 769 million minutes. So I expect the bump with the finale. Uh, were it not for FUBAR, I think it definitely would have had a week as the, the top series on the, the Nielsen's, which would have been a heck of an accomplishment. But I think it, it will just miss that mark. But I'm I'm kind of expecting, yeah, I think you hinted at this last week roll up to crack the 1 billion mark just for the finale because we do tend to see that binge bump for the weekly releases on these charts and especially with how freaking long these episodes are this season. Yeah, I think that's definitely having a impact on these numbers. And that'll be the last time we'll see Apple TV we'll Plus. see the Apple TV Plus <laughs> again. Yes. Until they go with the Ted Lasso minus Ted Lasso <laughs> because Apple TV Plus is, needs more. Mm. And, that, and that story has been told. The top show for the last two weeks was Queen Charlotte, a prediction story. That's down to third, 571 million minutes for six episodes. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel in fourth. That's from Prime Video. And this is the finale, 43 total episodes, 483 million minutes. The final episode arrived on the streamer on the 26th. We might see that have a small increase next week or maybe hold with the, that same number as people binge the series or the final season. And then we will not see that one ever again. Why did you have to say it like that? I know. I'm I'm definitely an Amy Sherman Palladino fan, but 
Yeah, it's sad. It is kind of like we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, it's just the four shows that all ended within a seven day span. And, you know, three of which we tended to see on on the ratings when their when their seasons arrived and they'll be gone. And unfortunately, possibly forever as depressing as that is, because we have to make room for stuff like Selling Sunset in fifth, 464 million minutes for 56 episodes. This show, a bunch of uh, sociopaths who sell real estate. It's sixth season arrived on May 19th. And yeah, it returned last week. So yeah, this was the first full week of its of its season. So yeah, I'm not surprised. Well, XO Kitty is up to sixth, 10 episodes, 429 million minutes. And one, I totally agree with your discussion last week that this is being underreported by Nielsen because of the limitations in how they report the data, because I am pretty positive this, this is a lot of second screen viewing. And also, Roel, you had said this was the a spinoff of the Kissing Booth series? Yes. Yes, that is not correct. It is uh, To All the Boys is what it's is what it's a spinoff of. Well, how do you know the Kissing Booth isn't part of the To All the Boys universe? Part, part, part of the, the To All the Boys expanded cinematic universe? Yeah, um, that's it. Just... I'm dropping that hint right now. <laughs> uh, trust me, I know. Uh, <laughs> In Roll's defense, how could anyone know that? I had to double check that because I was like, wait a minute, isn't like Kissing Booth like uh, a Hallmark franchise? <laughs> I think Roll just accidentally invented the Teen Girl Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be the Avengers Endgame of the Teen Girl Cinematic Universe streaming shows. Dude, when Emily in Paris shows up, everyone's going to lose their Hold on, I'm getting a text that we've just been greenlit. (laughs) Fortunately, because of the writer's strike, we have to put a pin in this for for a little bit. But yeah, just give us a little time. But yeah, this is uh, actually already also been renewed. So like you were saying, David, probably could not have been expensive to make it all. So that's that's definitely a, a point in its favor and why Netflix will keep it around. Firefly Lane, winding down its run, 26 episodes for two seasons, 337 million minutes. Queer Eye returned a couple weeks ago, 58 total episodes on Netflix, 299 million minutes. And Who's Hungry for a Barbecue Showdown? That's new in ninth, 277 million minutes for 17 episodes. This is the second season. The first one was actually all the way back in 2020 in the fall there. I'm actually surprised it took so long. Uh, I mean, it can't be that hard to find people who, you know, want to cook barbecue and appear on a reality show. But yeah, not not surprised. Reality content is, we always joke, the future of Netflix. And after weeks of wondering where the hell it was, and uh, you guys mentioned it last week, uh, finally in 10th from Prime Video, Citadel, 273 million minutes for six episodes. Yeah, this released weekly uh, after premiering at the end of April with its first two episodes. And then finally, when the finale appeared on May 26th, that was enough to just sneak onto these ratings with 273 million minutes viewed. That definitely doesn't seem like a it got renewed type of number yeah this will have a second season so i'm very surprised especially this was not very cheap to make this was a spy action thriller series starring richard madden and priyanka chopra jonas and made by the rooster brothers too i'm just thinking there's an executive at prime video right now going yes there it is we made it suck it it. yes (laughs) pay up (laughs) i told you we'd get on the ratings But again, I I do have to remind from time to time as well, I do think the non-Netflix shows are underrepresented on the Nielsen numbers because of how these are calculated. So it more than likely is some some second screen and computer viewing. Let's go over to movies. And it is led by Missing, 626 million minutes. Missing is actually a sequel, folks. I swear that's a true thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So... I do remember this because in 2018, there was a movie starring John Cho called Searching. 
where a father is frantically searching for his missing daughter. And the gimmick was, it was basically viewed almost through his phone, his iPad. Exactly. And it was actually a shockingly good film. Yeah. So, okay. So it's not a direct sequel, but I guess in the same, yeah. In the the searching cinematic universe. This was the plan all along, an anthology sequel with the same concept, but not told the same way. And it does not return any of the same characters. So mm-hmm. it is legitimately one of the strangest sequels I've ever seen, but they actually pitched both of them together. Oh, and the, okay. And I see, I had forgotten that this was the theatrical release earlier in January. And curiously, this actually arrived on Netflix on May 20th. So the good news, bad news here is great. It's the number one movie, but this was the full week. But yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a bummer on the movies chart, I think, over the next couple of weeks till we hit Extraction 2, which will potentially blow the doors off everything. The Mother in Second, that's the Jennifer Lopez action thriller, 465 million minutes. That's been here for a couple of weeks now. And third, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, that showed up last week. And yeah, down to 460 million minutes. David, you predicted that last week. So yeah, good call there that it would not hold too well with that full week. And fourth, also... Showed up last week from Paramount Plus, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, 413 million minutes. I do need to check this out because I think people were probably turned off by the title because, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, oh, look, nerds. But uh, apparently this movie is actually a lot of fun, especially if you're into the the genre. They just kind of went for it and it succeeded much, much more so than the last time someone tried a Dungeons and Dragons movie, like what, 20 years ago? But yeah, I do need to, to watch this at some point because I've not heard anyone say that it was they did not like it. Yep. Highly recommend it, Tim. Cool. Uh, in fifth, uh, the Tom Hanks a Man Called Otto has been here for a few weeks now. So it's sliding down the list 383 million minutes. New in sixth, this one from Max, one of the first listings of Max we've had, because actually that changeover just hit the ratings because they are a month behind. Uh, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, 346 million minutes. So yeah, flop at the box office and kind of flopping on streaming too, because this showed up on the 26th. So it is just a three day number, but I don't expect too much of a bump here. If only David Zaslav has said it was the greatest comic book sequel ever. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that he that he didn't. Uh, new in seventh, The Sun from Netflix, 316 million minutes. This is a 2022 film starring Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern. Okay, I don't recall this one at all. Oh, it didn't have much of a theatrical release. It, it earned a total of 3.6 million box office. It's like it was kind of going for uh, some awards. Uh, oh, it, it got uh, Hugh Jackman a Golden Globe nomination for what's that for whatever that's worth anymore. Well, it had bad reviews. So. Yeah, it was not. Oh, D. Oh, 29% fresh. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that explains that one. This was actually also arrived on the 20th. Uh, so this is a full week. So yeah, we won't probably won't see this one again. Air also premiered last week. Well, actually, technically two weeks ago because you know, Nielsen is not good at their one job. That's here from an eighth from Prime Video, 302 million minutes. My parents actually really enjoyed that, by the way. They did see it. And they, they, they thought it was great, actually. Yeah, not necessarily a commentary on the quality, but the fact that Amazon spent as much as they did on this project and it's just not performing is disappointing. All right. And oh, it's been a while since we said this, but here's a licensing nightmare for you because new in ninth, The Boss Baby from Netflix, 271 million minutes. Isn't this like a DreamWorks project? And and then it it was on like Peacock or something or somewhere else that wasn't Netflix for a while. Sure. It's probably been bouncing back and forth for years now. This is probably it's like sixth or seventh visit to Netflix. (laughs) Netflix, of course, has the 
boss baby series so i can see how they could easily benefit from some spill over there that kid is 27 years old now (laughs) uh yeah okay so from november 17th to may 2019 it was on netflix and then it went somewhere else for literally four years and returned on May 22nd. It's amazing. I Things like that just absolutely kill me when discovering all this stuff through doing this podcast. And wrapping up movies in 10th is Ted, another movie that came back last week onto the ratings because it just returned to Netflix for some you know freaking reason because you know it's a licensed nightmare 235 million minutes to take 10 so yeah those other movies bumped off the other the evergreen disney content no moana no uh no encanto yeah ted came back on may 16th so why these things come back in the middle of the month instead of the start of the month i have no idea all right acquired is nine shows we've seen before led this week by swat once again credited to hulu netflix and paramount plus 1.3 billion minutes for 128 total episodes and the reason it's here is the first five seasons of the show all showed up on netflix on may 17th all right yeah that explains it then say we saw some fraction of that in the ratings last week as Mm -hmm. swat came in with what was it about 600 million minutes yeah after never seeing it before yeah and this week it's a full week of swat and so 1.3 billion minutes yeah, and obviously we always joke, but I'm sure it's accurate that, yeah, 95% of this is Netflix, even though it's credited to to other streaming services as well. Yeah, this is a um, Sean Ryan procedural. I'm sure it's a big hit for CBS, which makes sense that it was on Paramount+, Plus, but it was also on Hulu for some reason. And yep, now the first five seasons of its six total are on Netflix for your viewing pleasure. And yep, of course, it's brand new content. So boom, right to the top of the chart. I love that Paramount gets to say, we've got the number one show on the acquired list. <laughs> We've got one of the top shows on streaming. Uh, We do have a returning show in second, All American, 893 million minutes, 91 episodes. Uh, We've seen this before, and it's the same deal with this. It's a CW show, right? That's right. Okay. We saw this happen before, probably exactly around a year ago, because the fifth season finished airing on May 15th, and then the entire season drops on Netflix, and more people probably watch it on Netflix than they do on the CW. So it's win-win for both for the production company and for Netflix. The fifth season arrived on May 23rd. So yeah, it had, it had the full week, but yeah, we, we saw this exact thing happen a year ago when the, when the previous season ended, and then the episodes dropped onto Netflix. One new show that we have not seen before is in seventh, La Reina del Sur, uh, 512 million minutes for 183 episodes. Yikes. That's one of those telenovelas then. Yeah. Do you remember the USA show Queen of the South? I just looked this up the other day. Yes. I thought the spinoff was the telenova version, but it's actually the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. That was the American remake of this show. That's what this is. And it's, yeah, it's a Spanish telenovela uh, that USA turned into an English language language series. And this is, this is the original article uh, that goes all the way back to actually 2011, but then a second season in 2019 and then third from October, 2022 to January of this year. That's what actually had me confused because, you know, Queen of the South was a USA network series that aired for five seasons. So you would think the show that, you know, only recently had new episodes would be the spinoff. No, <laughs> they threw it five years of american television between seasons between seasons yeah 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 that's what this is and that's why it has a bazillion episodes because that's what these telenovelas do but yeah that's pretty interesting uh we do have another uh triple again uh in 10th hulu netflix and peacock is heartland 420 million minutes for its 222 episodes so yeah just wanted to point that out because after not happening previously we have now shows credited to three streaming services because of course it's a licensing nightmare. But yeah, that was kind of a fun week to have FUBAR debut with a big splash. Uh, I'm curious to see where that goes next week. And then we get 
yeah, the finale of Ted Lasso. Uh, I'm wondering what Marvelous Mrs. Maisel does. I kind of expect a succession bump too. That's there in six hundred forty-one million minutes. That will add its final episode on next week's ratings as well. And yeah, kind of a fun week after some mediocre ones, but curious to see what happens going forward. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. We will close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And David and I saw a early preview of No Hard Feelings last week. I thought it was quite enjoyable. Jennifer Lawrence is super winning, as she always is. She has a great sense of humor. She's always got a fantastic screen presence. But her co-lead is also really terrific. He holds his own against a lot of much more experienced actors and actresses. It feels like a throwback, and that might be a bit to its detriment. I mean, I will even say, like, the songs and music that the movie uses are from the 70s and 80s, so I think it's deliberate, but still a lot of fun and funny, and I do recommend it. Raul, how about you? I've been uncharacteristically catching up on a number of different projects. I was excited to have Star Trek Strange New Worlds back. Unfortunately, since they only had the first episode of the new season available on Paramount+, Plus, once that one was over, I decided it was time to catch up on Star Trek Discovery. And sadly, that series is just as much of a slog as I remember it being. I made it halfway through season four. I'm going to take a little break now to recover, but Star Trek Discovery is definitely not the best of the Star Trek series on Paramount+. Plus. I also got to watch a number of movies last week as it was Father's Day weekend, so I got to sit down with my kids and watch some movies. I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania on Disney+. Plus. It was an okay, not great movie. I think there were certainly some entertaining elements of it. I especially liked Darren, who's in a great role in this one. Very funny. There are some head-scratching things, as there often are when you're dealing with Ant-Man in the plot about like why doesn't he just shrink here or why doesn't he grow giant there? Just things that are just stupid. I did get to go to the theater twice last week and so I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It was very good, but again, there's certain elements of that one that reminded me of DC movies where a whole lot of people die and honestly, our characters don't seem to even bat an eye about it. It was very frustrating. It's not something you see very often in Marvel projects, but it is is a hallmark of DC projects. And I also saw Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which even with the ending that I won't spoil, I felt was very long, but that didn't necessarily make it a bad movie. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was fantastic. I loved all the Easter eggs and inside jokes. I will agree with what David said about having to watch it again just so you can catch all the elements. I very much enjoyed it, and I'm glad I saw it in theaters. Of everything I saw last week, I think Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the one everyone needs to see right away. I would definitely agree with that. Tim, how about you? So the reason I was not here last week is I got to do something that I'd wanted to do for quite some time. My dad and I took a little baseball road trip. We drove from New York, where we live, down to Baltimore on a Thursday morning to see an afternoon game in Baltimore at Camden Yards, a stadium I've wanted to see for a long time. It was great. It's a wonderful stadium. We got there so early, we walked around the building before the the gates had opened as people were already uh, pre-gaming and, and day drinking on a late Thursday morning, which is always always fun to see. It's a stadium that definitely is clearly showing its age, but thankfully, most teams that have built a new stadium in the last 20 years basically have their own version now, except for New Yankee Stadium, which is corporate and soulless. And then after that game, we drove into Washington, D.C., 
and saw a Nationals game on Friday. The hotel that we stayed at was a five-minute walk to Nationals Park, which is just another foreign concept to me after going to only, say, the New York stadiums where you you know, you know have to battle through hours and hours of, of traffic to get to, and its parking situations are a nightmare. Then we walked around that one, too. It's actually a quite nice stadium. Both games were fun. It was just something that I wanted to do with my dad for a very long time. He's not the type of guy who shows a lot of emotion, but he was clearly very happy that we had done it. We had just initially discussed doing it in 2020. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the world ended and then we, we held it off for a couple of years, but I suggested doing it this summer. It just so happened to coincide with with Father's Day, just the schedule aligned. But it was it was a nice little little trip with uh, with me and my dad, something I hadn't done in a long time. Love you, dad, even though you don't listen. But yeah, this it made me very happy to see those games, see those stadiums and, and just spend more time with my dad. I love that story, Tim. And David, how about you? I am so jealous of you, Tim. I always wanted to go to Camden Yards with my father while he was alive. And it's just wonderful you got to do that. It really is. I'm with Tim on No Hard Feelings. I'm kind of conflicted about it in that it's not perfect by any stretch. And there are some story ideas I think kind of got shelved. It's minimalist, but it really works in that it is a throwback and it kind of feels like a chaos grenade on what we currently consider, you know, like romantic comedy. This is <laughs> this is basically meatballs. It really is or stripes or something like that. And they kind of explore the fact what would happen if you told the story like that today. And uh, it works in that regard. And then the other thing we did, Kim, was we did the one thing we said we weren't going to do. And what was that? We actually started binging the bear. You could tell the season's different because we watched four episodes consecutively. And I don't think we'd ever watched more than two consecutively before. This is a much more bright and airy story thus far in season two. And I love it because I know it's not going to end that way. It's the calm before the storm. Right now, they're tearing down the old space and they're building a new restaurant. So they're not in their extremely challenging, sometimes toxic job environments. Instead, they're in a new and a different different phase. And we're just kind of waiting for that moment where they circle back. And it's been brilliant so far, hasn't it, Kim? Yes, very enjoyable. I'm I'm glad we went ahead and started. I could totally go for three or four more episodes tonight. No joke. I'm kind of in love with what they've done. And without giving away names, season two, episode four features a guest appearance. And it's kind of a perfect episode of television. It really is. It's sweet isn't the right word, but um, well intended. And they don't don't ever actually acknowledge one part of it like who the person is that the guest star is referencing but you can make a guess and that makes it that much better i really like what they've done with the bear season two and because i like happy and i always go against the grain i'm pretty sure you're going to hear a lot of complaints that they've lost their way with the bear i don't know so far season two is 100 percent fresh so i think Oh, fantastic. People are enjoying it. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 